We're going to get right to it uh, this morning. Defense of marriage. Defense of marriage is our focus this morning. This is not a downer on singleness, the single life. Obviously, God has, has used uh, single people and continues to do so in a very powerful way. Obviously, have you heard of the Apostle, Apostle Paul? Right? Have you heard of the Lord Jesus on earth? Obviously, he uses singleness in a very powerful way, and he can and, and he will. At the same time, there's, there's attacks on the home. There's attacks on, on marriage and, and family. Everything, just about, I would say, everything that is unholy in this world is an attack upon the family and marriage. So we must defend marriage. Here's the three things we're going to try to do this morning. First of all, to see quickly that marriage matters to God. Marriage matters to God. Then secondly, we want to see that preparing for marriage matters to God. And then thirdly, the reasons for marriage. The reasons for marriage uh, matters to God. Let's get started. Simply, marriage matters to God. It mattered to God in the beginning. Genesis 2, 18 to 24, it, married, it mattered to God uh, in the beginning. He, he performed the first surgery. He caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam and closed the flesh thereof, took from Adam the rib and fashioned the woman and brought her to uh, the man. There you are. Brought her uh, to the man. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she's taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And the two, the two now are going to be uh, one flesh one flesh, okay? We learn from this that, that marriage is from heaven. It's not from some, some development of evolution. You know, we're not, when we get married, we're not copying uh, the pairing up or the mating habits of some other species. This is from heaven. This is from, this is from the Lord Jehovah uh, God. Also, we see this puts God in charge. This puts God in charge. God gets to gets to lay down the rules. He, he gets to uh, describe the nature of marriage for us. You know, one man, one woman, uh, one flesh for life. God has designed it that way. And so he is in charge. He gets to set the rules. Okay. We also see here that God put marriage right in the midst of creation. Right in the midst of creation. He didn't just create man and then step back and say, now what? No, as he created this universe, as he created the, the plant world, as he created the, the animal world, as he created human beings, he created marriage right there uh, in the midst. So does marriage matter to God? Well, it did in the beginning, but also notice in the Ten Commandments, Exodus uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, bring to us the, the Ten Commandments. By the way, nine of the Ten Commandments in principle is found under the new covenant, but this is under the, under the law of Moses back here in Exodus uh, 20. You'll notice that the first four, the first four uh, of the Ten Commandments uh, really are vertical. Uh, they, they deal with, with our relationship with God directly. You know, no other gods uh, before me and... Um, 
No other gods uh, before me. No, no graven image. Don't take the Lord's God, God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. You know, that's the one that's not going to be found under the new covenant. Remember the Sabbath. But then the last six of the Ten Commandments are more relational, dealing with our responsibility toward one another. And a few of these are very interesting. For example, honor thy father and mother. Honor thy father and mother. Now notice it says, honor your father and mother, not honor your fathers, plural, and mothers, plural, okay? But honor your father and mother, male and female. Honor your father and mother. See how that that commandment is really a reflection of the original creation of God. God created us male and female, and from that he created a marriage. There, there we are now over here with the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Okay. Notice how that assumes, that commandment assumes the nature of marriage. It assumes the importance of marriage. It assumes the permanence of marriage. So by the time a, a child gets old enough to really honor father and mother, the father and mother should still be there. They should still be father and mother. And they should continue to be father and mother. This respects the very nature and the importance and the permanence of, of marriage. Also, remember, part of the Ten Commandments is to commit no adultery. Also, Part of the Ten Commandments back there in Exodus 20 is, do not covet your neighbor's what? Don't covet your neighbor's what? Well, yeah, but also don't co covet your neighbor's house, don't covet your neighbor's ox, don't covet your, your neighbor's manservant or, or lady servant, or anything of your neighbor's, don't covet that, and don't covet your neighbor's wife. Notice how that three of the last six commandments has to do with Marriage Is marriage important to God? We know that it is. Move on to the prophets, Jeremiah 31, and that should be 32. That should be 32. Okay, a little ghost got in there. Jeremiah 31, 32. 30, well, what did the prophets do? Well, the prophets would, were, were spokesmen for God. They called people back to God. They, they called people to repent and to obey. And they would use different comparisons, different analogies to do this sometimes and they often use marriage. They often used uh, spiritual adultery. Okay, And right here in Jeremiah 31, 32 Jeremiah is warning the people that you are about to go to Babylon because of your idolatry. Jeremiah 31, 32 God actually says to them, you broke my covenant I made with you Though I was a husband to you. It's right there, Jeremiah 31, 32. Though I was a husband to you, you broke the covenant. See, see, see the analogy God's using there? Okay. One of the things that God simply wants to do with people is He wants to be their husband. He wants to marry us. In fact, James picks up on this in the New Testament, James 4 and verse 4. He says, you adulterers and you adulteresses, don't you know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? He that would be a friend of the world, he, he that would make himself a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Okay. 
And so notice how God uses marriage, uses faithfulness in marriage, uses unfaithfulness in marriage to, to bring his people back to repentance, even way back in Jeremiah uh, 31. Okay. And then move to the time of Jesus, Matthew 19, 1 through 9. Jesus said, have you not read? Have you not read when he was asked about marriage and divorce? Have you not read Matthew 19, 3? Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, the two shall be one flesh. What therefore God has, has joined together, let, let not man put asunder. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Notice he didn't say now when they ask him, when they ask him about marriage and divorce. Notice he, he didn't say now, now guys, we got to be on the right side of history here. You know, that, that old scripture, uh, that was, um, that's kind of outdated now. And, uh, and that was good for them then, but, but now we're, we're here today. You know, Jesus didn't do that, did he? He didn't say, you gotta be on the right side of history. He pointed them all the way back uh, to the beginning. He quoted from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. He quoted from Genesis 2 and 24. Okay. Jesus goes on to say, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, Matthew 19, seven and eight, suffered you to put away your wife, but from the beginning it has not been so. One thing that God does that we must understand deep down, as he sets his will in motion, as he brings it, to, brings it to us, he assumes a good and honest heart. If, if there are not good and honest hearts in order to accept his will, chaos is going to reign. There's going to be chaos. And he said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, a lot of folks even today have turned their heart against the Lord God and His will, especially in regard to marriage and the home. And that's why you see chaos. It's not God's fault. It's not my fault. It's not your fault. It's not, those, it's not the fault of, of those who stick with the Bible, okay. but those who have hardened themselves against what God has set out. And so is marriage important? It was important to Jesus. He pointed people back to the beginning of time. And then you think about the writing of Paul. Does God, does, does God really regard marriage important? Think about Paul's writings, Romans 7, verse 1. Paul mentions the marriage law, how that, that a woman is bound by, by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, then she's free from that law, free to marry another. And he, he uses that to talk about the old law of Moses and then the newness of Christ. Okay. He says, Romans 7, verse 4, even so today... We are now dead to the old law of Moses and we're free to marry another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that is our Lord uh, Jesus. God wants to marry us, you see. And so notice how Paul uses the, the marriage situation there. Over in Ephesians 5, 23, Paul says, for as the husband's the head of the wife, Christ is the head of church, head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Is it important to God? It is. Go all the way to Revelation 19, verse 9. There in Revelation 19, we see the judgment day, the ultimate judgment day depicted. And this statement, blessed are those, Revelation 19, verse 9, blessed are those who are bidden 
to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see that? Blessed are those who are bidden, who are invited. Really, the implication there is blessed are those who are invited and who receive and who accept the, the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You say, well, I thought we were already married to Christ and we obey Him. Yeah, we're already married to Him, okay? but we'll receive the ultimate reward of that, the ultimate sense of that on Judgment Day and only into eternity. We're saved from our sins now when we submit to Christ, but we'll be ultimately saved on Judgment Day. Okay? We're in the kingdom now when we obey the gospel, but on Judgment Day, we'll be ushered into the eternal kingdom. So we're married to Christ now, but on Judgment Day and into eternity, we will enjoy the ultimate reality of that marriage. Blessed are those who are bidden to the marriage supper of the, of the Lamb. So in the beginning, there's a wedding, and at the end of time, there is a wedding. Do you think marriage matters to God? It does. In the second place, let's think about preparing for marriage. That matters to God. The longest chapter in the first five books of the Bible is Genesis 24, 67 verses. 67 verses in Genesis 24. What is happening in Genesis 24? Well, Abraham is going to send his servant somewhere. It's time for Isaac to have a wife. And he's going to send his servant. He makes his servant swear, don't you go to the daughters of the Canaanites. You go to our own country. You go to my people. You go to my kindred. And he made him swear and he took off and there he went. Okay. You look on into that chapter. He goes to a city by the, by the name of Nahor. And the servant of Abraham prays constantly as he makes this journey. But he also takes with him ten camels. Ten camels. And his plan is this. He's going to go to the city of Nahor. He's going to get there in the evening time. And he prays to God about this. He said, Lord, now I'm going to go up. I'm going to ask one of the ladies. The ladies come out at evening time to get water for their households. I'm going to ask one of the ladies for a drink of water. And the one, and the one, and the one who also offers drink to my camel, to my camels, that's going to be the one. That's going to be the one. That's Genesis uh, 24. I wanted to see uh, that verse there in Genesis 24 where it says, the one, the one, the one, the one. I've got it marked here. The one. The one. Genesis 24, yes, verse 14. Drink and I will water your camels also. Let her be the one. Let her be the one. 24, uh, 14. So that's his plan. That's his plan. I heard about a, a young single guy who, who decided to go get a stuffed camel and ride it around with it in his truck. And yes, he did say to somebody, he said, the first girl that offers a drink to my camel, she's going to be the one. She's going to be the one. Isn't that funny? I hope he got the real meaning here. The real meaning is uh, he's taking 10 camels. And he's got this strategy. He's got this plan. So we learn from, from Israel. We learn from the Mideast. It takes about 15 minutes to water a camel. So how many camels are there here? There's 10. There's 10. The one who offers a drink to me and says also on her own that I'll also draw water for your camels, that's going to be the one. You see, 
Abraham's servant is looking for more than just a pretty face. He's looking for more, who, he's looking for more than just someone who's, who's willing to get married. Okay. He's looking for more than just someone who's, who's willing to say, I do. Okay. He's looking for more than just the outward appearance. He's looking for something down deep. He's looking for character. He's testing for character here. The one who offered, it take her about two and a half hours to, to water all those camels. If she's willing to do that, then that's going to be his and the Lord's test to say that this is the one. Rebecca comes out and offers that water uh, to him. But we need to stop and consider that. Okay. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Don't let your adorning be the outward person of fixing your hair, or putting on jewels, or putting on clothes, but rather let her have the, the, the adorning of this. Let her, let her adorn the, the hidden person of the heart. Uh, let her create uh, an inward beauty, an, an, an incorruptible beauty of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Okay. You're looking for a, a lady like that. Okay. Ladies are looking to prepare themselves like that. Okay. Guys, you're looking for a lady who considers the sight of God to be the most important thing in her life. Does she consider the sight of God? Is there fear of God in her eyes? Okay. And we think about Proverbs 31. Verse 30 says, uh, you know, charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain, but a, a woman who fears the Lord, who fears the Lord. Uh, that's the one. That's the one right there. That's the one to be praised. That's the one to be selected. Read what Casey read for us earlier. Read it again and again. Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. And you'll see a lady described there who has strength. She's got strength. She's got character. And her strength and character are for her household. Underline it. Verse 15, verse 21, verse 25, 26. We just don't, you know, we're constrained by time. We can't go too long. We just can't go too long. You know? So we can't turn over there. We ought to and actually read the chapter. We're just going to mention it. We're going to trust it. You'll look at it. Okay. So underline it. Underline it. Her, her efforts are about her household, about, about her household, not what she's going to do out here in the world, in the society. Her, her strength is for her household. Okay. So preparing for marriage is important uh, for, to God. And then reasons for marriage. Reasons for marriage. Does this matter to God? Does this matter to God? We know what God has placed in marriage. Okay. We know what he has placed in marriage. We know what he has put there. For example, in Genesis 2 and verse 18, God declared it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make for him a help me. So we know that he has put in marriage companionship. Companionship. And that's what the home is to be. It's what marriage is to be. It's to be a refuge from the world. Here is somebody you can re rejoice with. Here's somebody you can weep with. Here's somebody you can trust. You know, the heart of her husband trusts in her and vice versa. Okay. This is companionship. Companionship. Be careful here though. Be careful. Because feelings are involved here and you can't trust feelings. Feelings come and go 
and you have good days and bad days. So this is not the primary reason to get married. No, no. This is, this is part of what God has placed in marriage, but this is not the primary reason. Companionship is not the primary reason for getting married. God has placed uh, in marriage um, the very uh, intimate relations between a man and a woman. Hebrews 13, verse 4, let, let marriage be had in honor among all, and, and then what? And let the bed, the bed, okay, so we, we read this in Hebrews 13, verse 4, let marriage be had in honor among all, and let the bed be undefiled. Where does the bed belong? Where is the only place for the bed? Where has God placed the bed? Okay, see, there's no point in going into detail here. Because God doesn't go into detail. If you don't understand what he, t what he means here by bed, then bless your heart. Bless your heart. Okay. Let the bed, the bed is in marriage. Okay. In the marriage relationship. And it's to be undefiled. For adulterers and, and fornicators, God will judge. Okay. So God has placed it. Now this is not the primary reason for getting married. The, the bed is not the primary reason for getting married. God has placed it there. Not the primary reason for getting married. God has put within marriage and the home children. Children. If you go back to Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, the command to the first couple is, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 complement each other. So the command is to make children in Genesis 1, but Genesis 2 tells us where that's to take place. In this, in this leaving the father and mother and cleaving to the wife, right there, right there is where the children are to come about. And then we just read chapter 2 over Genesis 4 and verse 1. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and she bore a son that called his name Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Okay. Paul says, in, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 14, I will therefore that the younger widows, there was trouble with the younger widows back in Ephesus. I will that the, the younger widows marry Notice the order here. Marry, bear children, manage the household. There's that word household again. Manage the household, give no occasion to the adversary to, for any kind of slander. Okay. God has placed the intimate relations. He has, he has placed companionship. He has placed children in marriage and home. But children are not the reason to get married. The bed is not the primary reason to get married. Companionship is not the primary reason to get married. Children are not the primary reason to get married. What is the primary reason? Well, I'm going to throw this out at you and let you, you, you don't have to agree. You know, nobody's. You know, Ephesians 5, 25, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, he says, Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. I believe that one of the primary reasons to get married is to show and express the love of God 
in this world. When husbands love their wives and wives love their husbands, that is giving expression in a very visible way to the unfailing love of God for his church. Think about what relations God may have chosen, some very meaningful relationships that God may have chosen, could have chosen, to express his love to the world. I remember, you know, David and Jonathan, back in the book of, of Samuel, says that their souls were knit together. Just He could have chosen just best friends. He could have chosen... He could have chosen business partner relationships. People grow close as they work together every day. Okay. He could have chosen the, the mother-daughter relationship or, or the mother-child relationship. He could have chosen comrades in war. When you, when you talk to someone who has been off in war, it's like a brotherhood among those who served in that capacity. God could have chosen a lot of different powerful relationships to express his love to the world, but he chose marriage. He chose marriage. There's a lot at stake in marriage. Are we able to stop and see the bigger picture? It's not so much about us, is it? It's all about the Lord. It always has been. The reason, if we could get this across to the world, to our young people, the reason to get married is that you are going to be expressing, you're going to be giving a, a visual picture to the world and to your home and to your family of the very love of God. And another primary reason to be married is that it facilitates, you might say, or it, it, um, it gives uh, support to God's plan to save man from his sins. The marriage relationship gives a whole bunch of support to God's plan to save man from his sin. This question, this question. Did God know that we would sin, that man would sin before he ever created man? Did he know that we would sin? 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20 expresses that. 1 Peter 1, 19 speaks of Jesus being the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish and it's his precious blood that saves us from our sins. Well, verse 20 says in 1 Peter 1 that all this was known before the foundation of the world. This was, it was known that Jesus would serve in this capacity of the Lamb of God before the world was ever created. So God knew this. What's one of the first things that He does in His creation? He creates marriage. He creates me. I wonder why. I wonder why. We know why. We know why. We know that marriage in the home creates a, a cement, if you will, 
to society. We have seen it in our own lifetimes. Those of you who are even older, you have seen even more of it. Okay. You know that when families stick together, society is much better off and the gospel can make more inroads into such a society. But if you have a society that's where the homes are breaking apart, then that undermines people's ability to learn and to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. God knew this. Of course he knows. God knows all. God knew this. He knew this. Again, there is a lot at stake in the marriage and the home. The idea of undermining means to erode. To erode. We know, to erode at the foundation. To, to, to slowly, gradually, forcefully push away at the foundation so that everything just collapses. First thing that God builds Knowing that Jesus was going to be coming into the world, knowing the, the plan that he was set up, the first thing God builds is the marriage in the home. And Satan has been fighting at that ever since. I believe this is why the marriage law, there's no give on it. It's so very strict because there's so much at stake, not just the spreading and the, and the exhibiting of God's love, but the very souls of man are at stake. If we could get this across to our young folks, that when you are getting married, it's not so much about you as it is about the love of God and the salvation of mankind. Reasons. Marriage matters to God. Preparing for marriage matters to God. Why we get married also matters to God. My concern, my thought is, I'm just wondering, what do you think about it? What do you think about it? Is anybody going to say anything about this to anybody once we leave this place? Once the amen is said, is anybody going to say anything about it before we leave? Or is there going to be any encouragement toward this thought about the importance of marriage? Or are we going to say, well, that was that, and we're not going to speak about it anymore? It must first be important in us if we expect the ideal to spread. Marriage. It is true that when, it, when it's all said and done, God's desire is to marry us. And have you made that possible? Have you submitted to His will? Have you been a faithful wife? Or are we guilty of spiritual unfaithfulness? It does matter to God. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And that has happened. To take advantage of that cross, we must simply respond in love through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. Just, just submit 
When, when the love of God begins to be known in your life, you just want to submit to Him. You, you have no other thing that you want to do except just to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Will you come home to Him this very morning? Let's all stand together and sing at this time.